This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 120 of Horsemanship Radio brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have some women that are moving and shaking in the horse world. This is going to be fun. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer back with us now, Jen. How are you? Greetings, Debbie. I feel I feel like it's been years since we chatted. I know. People don't really know that, though, because we've kind of kept our calendar date, but you've been out of town so long. I know you were up in North Carolina, very privileged to be there as one of those media types that were there to report on the world equestrian yes, games. Yes, we spent a month there one week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were up there for all, uh, for all 15 days of WAG and we had a great time, but that's a long time to be away from home. We missed our ponies. Yeah, I bet you did. And we missed you too. So I'm glad that you're back safe and you're ready to start this. I feel like first you know, September, like school starts and we start back and everything's starting back kind and we have some great, new great stuff. Month, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. September is always that transition month. Maybe we should have that instead of January. You think? Okay. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> well, we got to see all kinds of interesting celebrity horses, you know, horses that we read about in the news, in the horsey newspapers and horses we follow because they have their very own Facebook pages because they're amazing worldwide competitors. But there's, there's one that's going around social media right now. That's not a horse at all, but it's a mule by the name of ah. Wallace. Have you seen this Wallace thing going around? <laughs> you heard about Wallace. Yes, but he wasn't at WEG, right? He was not. not yet. He, as far as I know, there were no mules or donkeys at WEG. <laughs> Probably you would have heard him if, if he was. Mm-hmm. But but no, Wallace is a great story. I'm so glad you brought it up. So so people will have to Google Wallace. He lives in the UK, so he's a limey. And he is pretty darn famous because a few years back now, he decided that he was going to be under saddle and his owner brought him. She she rescued him, first of all, from Ireland. He was in a rescue situation. I think they found him uh, munching on somebody's daisies uh, somewhere. Yeah, in- yeah, I think he was Ireland. one of those found alongside road. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they put him in a in a sanctuary of some sort of rescue place. And then he found his way to England anyway, as uh, as some of those uh, stowaways will. And he ended up in the loving arms of this wonderful woman who decided that she wanted to start him uh, at one of dad's tours, Monty Roberts tour in England. And so the promoter there came to dad and said, you know, would you ever take a mule? And dad said, I love mules. They're, they're so intelligent. They've got hybrid vigor and they, they do a perfect join up and yes, please let's bring, let's bring in the mule. So in marches the mule, uh, brays uh, effectively right at the gate. And, and we have this all on film, fortunately, because we film all the tour events and, uh, dad did a, a regular join up, started him, saddle bridle. He'd actually been ridden a bit. So it wasn't like the first saddle bridle and rider and everything, but it was pretty darn cute because he went really well, you know, as a, as a mule does. And then she decided, well, now that he's so nice and quiet and seems pretty intelligent, I'll start him on dressage. <laughs> and so she starts dressage. And a couple of years later, she's climbing up through the ranks. What did she get to? I should have done my homework on this. I think she she's might be at the um, pre-St. George. <laughs> I don't know. She's Anyway, she, she had to get a, um, a decision made because the rules say that to keep going up the competition ladder, you have to be a horse. And so they they changed it to be equids after much hullabaloo because he was doing so well. And even people like Carl Hester, who, if people know the dressage world, that is the coach of Charlotte Dujardin. And he's an amazing dressage person in his own right and now trains so many horses. He said, Wallace is outstanding. So, you know, with all those endorsements. So we're going to have a bit of a reunion of sorts. Oh, wow. Yeah, so October 19th, Dad will be in Hartbury College. It's a beautiful equestrian center up in in, in the middle of England. And um, people should go there if they get a chance because Wallace is making his debut 
back in the round pen as a full-fledged dressage mule or equid. Let's call them equid because dressage equid. There we go. Change the rules. They change the rules for Wallace, and he's quite a sensation. One of our guys that help us film on the tour, I said, oh, my gosh, you've got to make sure that you get this story for us. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm I'm a bit of the horse person in the family, but my mom's not a horse person at all. And she came to me to tell me the story of Wallace. <laughs> she even knows, huh? So he's he's quite a celebrity in the U.K. right now. So we'll have that story for everybody. So he gets to come back now, and is, and now is his owner going to do a riding demonstration with him? Yes, yes, she is going to do a dressage demonstration on Wallace the mule. Everybody's is just talking about it. It's really very fun. Exciting. He's very good. Yeah, he's very professional about everything. You could go on YouTube and and see him doing his thing. All you have to um, do is put in Wallace the mule, and you come up with stuff. Yeah. He has his very own Facebook page, and it's not just Wallace the mule. It is Wallace the Great Dressage Mule. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He stands out, you know, and I just love the floppy ears as he's going around, right? You know, because <laughs> warm, warm bloods have floppy ears as it is, but but a mule, yeah, and he'll throw in a bray every once in a while. Just love those ears. That's yeah. so, well, that's neat. Well, coming up on the rest of the show, we yes. have even several more women who are making interesting waves and making things happen in the horse industry. So let's get to it. Hi, Joe Camp here to share about Omega Fields. Omega Fields exists to help you keep your first promise to the horses you love, to care for them well. Nutrition is the foundation of a healthy life and supports all the activity that brings you and your horse so much joy. Omega-3s from flax are the cornerstone of that foundation. So, coupled with the finest ingredients and their proprietary pure glean flax stabilization process, they created Omega Horseshine, Omega Horseshine Complete, Omega Nibblers, Low Sugar and Starch, Omega Antioxidant, and Proventum Probiotic, Soft Treats. Thousands of horses are experiencing a vibrant life with the help of Omega Fields products, including all of ours, a part of helping you keep your promise to your friends. Nutrition for a healthy life isn't just their slogan. It's their purpose. Jean Winters grew up around horses but didn't rodeo until she met her to-be husband, Guy, and they married in 1989. Guy was involved in rodeo all his life, and after they were married, they went into the rodeo business together. Jean joined the WPRA in 2009, winning in Houston and San Antonio and Denver, all the limited rodeos. In 2013, however, she qualified for Calgary, and she now helps others with horses, training, and giving lessons. Well, welcome, Jean Winters. I'm excited to have you on. You're a, a barrel racer extraordinaire, and you're a mom, and you're a teacher. Where are you hailing from today, Jean? I'm in Dalhart, Texas today. You are? So you're home. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. My horses are kind of going through some soreness issues, so we are home and just taking care of things at the house. Good for you. I know you're a good horse owner. I love your story that you, you didn't even rodeo until you met your to-be husband. And then you became involved in rodeo and fast forward, she wins at Calgary. I mean, that's that's an amazing story in itself. But I love what you've done with your career since then too, and how you are, uh, you're actually building the next generation of people that are good horse trainers and, and good barrel racers. Why, why barrel racing and your husband, he was in rodeo and how did you become in love with barrel racing? Well, I really feel like God kind of gave me that desire when I was a little kid. My dad never was involved in any kind of rodeo, but he always made sure I had horses. And I remember as a kid just making my horse turn and wanting to train my horse to do things. And back, this was back way before social media, so you didn't have YouTube and mm. and videos on Facebook. But I used to go to the library and rent, get books on horse training and try and teach my horses to do the things that these big trainers that had written the books were making their horses do. And I was just always fascinated with making a horse perform. And mm-hmm. as when I met Guy and, and he was rodeoing and he was actually a pickup man, he rode bareback horses too, but he was a pickup man, which is the guy that gets the rust stock guys off the horses. Mm-hmm. He 
had a horse and he said, why don't you train this horse for a barrel horse? And after we got married, I kind of continued on with that. I always wanted to, I never knew why, except God gives us a passion for things when, you know, we, he says in the Bible, he knew us before we were even a seed and he, he knew the plans that he has for us. And so I think he just gave me that desire when I was a long before I was even born. And, Mm -hmm. and it just, he just kind of brought it to fruition through things happening in my life. That's cool. And obviously your horses agreed with him because they, they seem to perform well for you. And I know how much you, you have treated them well too over the years, which is what we wanted to honor you about. So tell us a little bit about a couple of the horses you have one in particular that you won with Calgary, that sorrel horse. Tell us a little bit about why that happened. Well, Zan was bought by a friend of mine, and he said, hey, let, if I buy this horse, because Zan is little, he's just 14 too, and he said, if I buy this horse, can you ride him? You're small, and we'll sell him in the spring, and this was in October, and I said, sure, and come spring, we took him through the sale, and I was shaking my head no when people were bidding on him, but the, the friend ended up keeping him and letting me buy him from him later on, and Zan just kind of had that, there was just something about him. He was not bred to be a a barrel horse. He had some barrel horses in his lineage, but not, he wasn't really bred to be a barrel horse. He just had some moves that I really liked. And uh, once again, right after I won Calgary, I remember somebody said, so what were your training thoughts on training Zan? And I said, I had no thoughts on training Zan. I just said, God, what do we do now? And that's what happened. And so I really feel like God just kind of trained him and I got to be the jockey and I was incredibly blessed by being able to go to Calgary and go to the NFR and to have the great sponsors like Saddle Ride and Omega Fields and to be able to do interviews like this. Ah, that's nice. So a lot of people might not know what Calgary means. We throw it out there as if it's a thing and not a city. So for those who don't know much about the storied history of Calgary, can you talk a little bit about what what that's like to win? Oh, Calgary is amazing. The Calgary Stampede is, I can't even remember how many years it's been going on. And it's one of the biggest pay-in rodeos ever. Mm-hmm. and anywhere and it's an invitational you have to qualify in the WPRA to make it to Calgary and um the year I qualified it was kind of funny there was one last qualifier to go to at the WPRA finals and I said no I don't really want to and some friends called me and said I think you need to go anyway mm-hmm. and I went out there and I won that that qualifier and eventually that ended up throwing me into qualifying for Calgary for sure and uh, but Calgary is uh, the Calgary Stampede is just full of history and just cowboy and 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 ranching heritage it's just it's just incredible but the year that these last few years uh, it paid a hundred thousand to win the final round Mm -hmm. so it it not only is a lot of fun to go to, it also pays really well. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A lot of people go there. It's almost as if you don't have a full career if you've been doing it a long time and you haven't been to the Calgary. Can you imagine? That's true. They only take 20 people in each event. Mm-hmm. And so it's very prestigious to get to get to compete at Calgary. So did, did people it's, come uh, up to you and say, where did you come from when you won it? Well. Actually, yes, people, uh, there were some people that didn't feel like I should win it and Uh. that it just wasn't fair because I was, oh, I was down near a hundred or past a hundred in the standings when I got to Calgary. I was not doing very well. And I, uh, I drove a 96 Ford pickup with a 96 trailer on it and, and the trailer did not have a full living quarters. It just had a shower. And so I was, I was the epitome of that saying, it's not what you pull up in, it's what you unload out of Uh there. And I, one of my fondest memories of of the stampede was Melissa Hollingsworth. She's interviewing and she saw me. I had not done any good in the beginning. And and she had called a friend of hers down in Texas, Tammy Fisher and Tammy, I knew Tammy and, and, 
she had called her and said, Jean's not doing any good. I really felt like she'd do better up here. And Tammy said, don't ever cut that girl out. Mm-hmm. It'll come back. She'll come back. Mm-hmm. And don't ever cut that horse or that girl out. She, she will come back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. And that was just, um, that just made me feel really good to know that you know, cause I was going through a very bad time when I wasn't winning money. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. <laughs> and so I was feeling kind of bad about myself and then to come back and, and have her say that and, and, uh, to come back and win it in the end. Um, I just, um, I was very, very blessed. I felt like God had his hand on me the whole time yeah. and there was a reason for me being there. Yeah. It's, it, those are the memories, right? When people believe in you. Yeah. yeah, and thank you for sharing that story. It's an incredible story. It really is. And now what are you doing for this the future of the of the industry? Cuz I know you're working on it. Well, um I have uh two horses right now, some very dear friends and I we kind of go together and and if one of us finds a horse and and uh, that we like, then we get together and buy it. So I've got two head of horses at the house right now that are very uh, green on barrels they're not ready to show yet but that's I'm riding them and training them one of my favorite things to do is to train and to learn and uh, so with my good horse without he he had a injury that's going to take him out about six months not a major injury the vet said about three months and I said oh let's just double it and you leave him out off. for a while he doesn't owe me anything yeah. and um so I am just training young horses and uh, helping, giving some lessons and uh, just hoping I can help somebody achieve their dreams. It, it takes more than just one of us to achieve a dream. So, mm. Yeah, a lot of people say seven touch points, which is an interesting way to run our life, isn't it? That uh, we know we're, yeah. we're touching people, but it, we're not always the one that actually pushes the, the, all the buttons, it takes a, it takes a lot of different touch points. Yes, it, it does. It, it takes a lot. I've, I've made some wonderful friends, barrel racing, running barrels at rodeos and at jackpots. I've made some just incredible friends and, and the opportunities that have been awarded me because of rodeo are when I can look back, I, I, if I'm having a bad day, it's easy for me to look back and say, look at all the blessings in my life. Mm-hmm. Even, even when, when I didn't have a horse that was sound and I didn't have another horse to run and there was nothing going on, I, I could still look back and say, I have been blessed beyond measure mm-hmm. and I'll trust in his plan to pull me out of this one. That's a great life lesson, Jean Winters. I appreciate you being on Horsemanship Radio. It's a great story, and I hope we have you back sometime. I enjoyed it. I really did, and I appreciate you asking me. It's it's an honor to be able to speak to you. Thank you, Jean Winters. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. From an early age, Dr. Natalie Cooper knew that she wanted to be a veterinarian. She spent her formative years on her family's beef cattle ranch in central Arkansas and was riding horses before she could walk. A lot has changed since those early years on the ranch, but one thing has remained constant, her love of horses and her enthusiasm for educating others about their health care and and welfare, too. Dr. Cooper currently co-owns a five-doctor mixed animal practice in Arkansas, and in 2016, Dr. Cooper joined Freedom 
Freedom Health as Vice President of Veterinary Medicine. In this role, she's responsible for education, outreach, and oversight of research and development programs related to the management of equine gastrointestinal health. Dr. Cooper passionately serves fellow veterinary professionals and horse enthusiasts. She enjoys riding in her spare time, too, as well as hiking with her faithful canine sidekick. Well, welcome, Dr. Natalie Cooper. Can I call you Natalie? Please do. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you on. We're excited to talk to you a little bit about your background and your your current uh, striving to be a better veterinarian and a better student of the horse. That's what we're related to. And I appreciate that you're you're at a conference right now and taking time out to uh, to give us a few words of wisdom on Horsemanship Radio. You're in Texas now? I am. I'm at the Texas Equine uh, Veterinarian Meeting. So shout out to my Texas veterinarians for letting mm-hmm. me come to their conference as well. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But you actually, you spent your formative years uh, in Arkansas. So what, what hails home now? Are you, are you based in Arkansas? I am based in Arkansas, and I actually have a position now um, with Succeed and Freedom Health where I travel and get to do educational seminars with horse owners and also veterinarians, so and attend conferences such as this one. So Arkansas is still home, but I'm not there um, very often at all, unfortunately. Ah, okay. Well, good. I, I'm just so glad to have a, a horse vet on and, and one that continues to not only educate herself, but also is out there educating people. So what is it that people are probably not getting right now the most about horses and, and their care that they should? What do you probably have to do the most teaching on? Well, I, I'm kind of a nutrition nerd. So I, I tend <laughs> towards digestive health and nutrition. So I spend a great deal of my time talking to horse owners about, you know, the way that we keep horses now is so different than they were evolutionary designed to be kept. So I think we create a lot of our own problems and challenges with the husbandry practices that we have now. And luckily, what I'm seeing, and I'm sure you've experienced as well, is that husbandry is kind of a moving target, and it seems like we're really making great strides, but we still have some work to do. But, you know, I talk to a lot of people about making sure that forage is the primary source of nutrition for their horses, and so a forage-first mentality and, Mm -hmm. and things such as that and such as keeping forage in front of those guys all the time so that they can eat more the way they were designed to eat and digest their food appropriately. How did you get it? I mean, I know you grew up in a, in central Arkansas and you, and you were riding horses before you could walk, but a, a lot has changed. I agree. And what did you learn in those formative years that made you want to think about going in nutrition? Is this like a cause oriented thing for you or did it just become an interest later when you were going to school? You know, it's it's interesting you say that. Uh, Our horses on the farm growing up were kept, they weren't stabled at all. They were caught and and used to work cattle and then, you know, then turned out. So really they were kind of allowed to be more horses than a lot of our performance horses today. And when I'm, you know, when I started practicing, I worked with a number of performance horses and, and they were the horses that seemed to have the most uh, challenges medically. And so it was kind of a, a labor of love that, you know, I've worked with performance horses and I see these challenges that they have and it's kind of shaped who I am as a vet. And also kind of my interest in nutrition is helping these, these high level performance athletes be the best they can be. Mm-hmm. And I learn every day, um, you know, I learn just as much as I teach. So that's, that's the key. Yeah, that is key. Are you learning from the horses or are you learning more from people? You know, both. I, I like to think I learn quite a bit from just observing horses and, and spending time with them and spending time with my own, they, they do have an awful lot to teach us if we'll just listen. Yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah. I, I keep thinking that the veterinary industry or vets are the ones that are frontline for behavior issues because uh, we, we just are not good actors when we're not feeling well. And I, I know horses are the same way. So what do you, what do you think vet, where where are we heading with behavioral issues and and just being able to practice veterinary medicine because or not because of it? You know, behavior is kind of a, a sub interest of mine as well, and I think a lot of our behavior, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, 
think a lot of our behavior vices, our stable vices, and even our training difficulties, you know, oftentimes there's a, there's a reason for that behavior and it may Mm -hmm. become a learned behavior. You know, cribbing is a, a prime example. We, we know that a lot of our horses that crib could have some sort of gastrointestinal upset, be it ulcers or, or something of that nature that causes that phenomenon to start. And, and sometimes it is just boredom, I'm sure. But we do, we do have a fairly highly documented uh, correlation between gastric ulcers and cribbing. So I think some of those behaviors, we have to make sure that there's not a physiological or a medical concern that's causing that behavior. And oftentimes, if we catch it early enough and are able to fix it medically, then we can reverse those behaviors. And, and sometimes not. Sometimes they become learned behaviors and they're, you know, they're difficult from then on out to manage. But I think that's, our, that's my first line of defense as a vet. When I hear a behavior case is, let's make sure this horse is comfortable and that there's not a reason for this behavior. Yeah, good for you. Is that being taught in veterinary schools? And and how is discipline being taught in, in, in veterinary schools? I mean, discipline is a tough word. You know what I mean? Like, so you get there as a vet and you've got a horse that's not happy. And what does vet school do for you? I know it's not the hard knocks of life experience, but what does vet school do, you know, to to assess that horse and then try to make that horse comfortable enough so that you can do your job? You know, I think we are learning more and more. And luckily, part of my job now, I, I get to, to go to some veterinary schools and interact with students. And I tell you what, we're graduating better and better veterinary students. Mm-hmm. Every year, it seems like they get smarter and smarter and their questions get harder. Mm-hmm. So I think vet school is more so geared now towards, you know, the, the, when we know better, we do better attitude. And so yeah. I think we are approaching some of these kind of mysterious diseases that maybe we used to just be told, we'll just train through it, just push through it. And, and now I think we're really kind of taking some of those nuances um, with behavior and, and even with nutrition, because a lot of that is, is, is kind of coming to the forefront, the more, the more education we have. So hopefully our, our students just keep getting better. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we were doing, we were working with a horse this morning and this horse is pretty much untouched, came off a mountain, a uh, young horse, three, four years old, and just really didn't have any negatives about humans, didn't have any positives about humans, just, you know, was uh, surviving up on a mountain and happy to do it. And they're, they're raised up to be brought down off the mountain and then uh, used for, um, it's actually for the bucking industry and they're you know, big athletic Percheron cross in there, big plate feet. And the thing that was interesting was watching the into pressure syndrome of this horse. So horses, horses are not naturally off pressure. Like our leg goes on the side of the horse and he moves to the right or moves to the left by our leg. Now that's counterintuitive for horses. How much Funny little things like that are taught in vet schools these days. You know, I, I have to say, and I guess every school is different. We really didn't get into the mechanics of, of animal movement like that in response, yield to pressure and, and, and such yeah. like that. We talked yeah. a little bit more in our large animal classes about animal handling as far, you know, because most students didn't have a farm background. So flight zones and things of that nature with regard to cattle, but really right. with horses, we, we didn't really get into that and that's. I, it's an interesting point that you bring up because we probably should. And, and I, I take a little of that for granted just with the background that I have. But, yeah, that's definitely something that we should work yeah. on as a veterinarian. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to change the industry or anything. But it, but it was interesting because I was thinking, I was watching one of our instructors run his hip, uh, his hand over the hip of the horse and the horse would lean into him. And he's actually just trying to desensitize a little bit, you know, and I was thinking, gosh, if I were a vet and, you know, thinking about this, this interview today, if I was a vet, all that, I wouldn't know exactly what was wrong. You know, like that horse is pushing into me. It's just a natural phenomenon. But again, your expectations, if you're not aware of it. So, yeah. So, it would be fun, I suppose, to talk about when a vet comes out to have that education somewhere in their their lineage. Because if you're not raised up on a farm and so many of the vet students are not privileged enough like you and I to grow up around the, the bigger animals yeah. sometimes. I, I think I might actually incorporate that next time I get to talk to a group of vet students. I'm going to incorporate uh-huh. a little bit of that and see 
see if we can in- increase some interest there and some awareness. So thank you cool. for that. Very cool. Yeah, I know you're the nutrition nerd too, and I, and I am too. But I just <laughs> thought of you today, so I had to ask, ask that question. But and what else? What else would you want an owner to know before you get there with uh, with their horse? Is there any um, comfort things, any training that you want them to have prepared so that you're not training them when you get there? What would you want the owner to know? <laughs> that is that is a great a great point, and I laugh because so many times you know, I, I get there and, and the owner will say, you know, can you give this dewormer? I can't get anything in the horse's yeah. mouth. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to be able to do it in five minutes either, but yeah. just basic, just basic yeah. horsemanship and basic handling. And, you know, it, it's so great. I have amazing clients that I get to work with and they know their horses so well. And, and I think, it, you know, they know when something's wrong and if they, if they have first of all, that knowledge of their animal, but also kind of just a knowledge of what, what's normal for their animal and be that temperature and pulse and respiration, those physiological things or even behavior things. I think just knowing your animal and being able to basically handle them and, and as long as they can get their feet picked up and they can be haltered, you know, we can do, we can do most things. And thankfully we have the benefit of chemical restraint and and drugs should we need it. So there's always that. (laughs) There's always that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about owners knowing their horse too, because that's something you can't know how that horse normally reacts under certain situations, but they can. But I always, I try to help farriers and vets by saying it really is our, as owners, it is our responsibility to, to at least have the basics covered for you before you, you drive down their driveway, right? Oh, definitely. And I I sympathize because I have a needle shy mare that Uh, is just it's just a pill to deal with. So I, I get it that they're not always easy, but yeah, we have the same, I have the same challenges as a vet as, and a horse owner. So yeah. There we go. Got any tips for us on that on needle shy horses? You know, it's just desensitization and oftentimes, sometimes it's best to just get it over with as quick as possible yeah. in the moment, but if you can do some training at home with, you know, even just pinching the skin because those horses, they know, when I pinch that skin, they know what the next step is. <laughs> so just, you know, petting on the neck where we draw blood and pinching that skin up and getting them used to those little sensations. And then it's not a negative experience every time. So Great. I think yeah, counter conditioning, we forget about that sometimes and just want to get our job great. done. But. <laughs> yeah, that's a great tip. That is a great tip. Well, Natalie, I'll let you get back to the conference. I so appreciate you being, how do people find out about you or learn more from you or see you down the road? Um, well, I, my clinic has a Facebook page that Honey Hill Animal Hospital on Facebook, and we don't have a website because we're all too busy to manage it. That's and, okay. Um, yeah. Or you can find you could find me on Facebook as well if you want to. So great, yeah. And I've seen you on the website for for Freedom Health too. I know you're a vice president of veterinary medicine there, and that's a huge role and responsibility. And uh, we look forward to more great things coming out of that company too. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to visit with you and catch up. Talk to you soon. Bye. Monty Roberts is proud to partner with the Right Horse Initiative, which seeks to help horses in transition by massively increasing horse adoption in the United States. The Right Horse understands that most horses will have multiple owners during their lifetime. Often, these horses find themselves in transition due to no fault of their own and can move into a second or third career with the right adopter. Adoption can be a great option when you're looking for a new horse. To help you find your perfect right horse, the Right Horse Initiative developed an innovative new website for adoptable horses called My Right Horse. On MyRightHorse.org, you can search hundreds of available horses by breed, discipline, age, and location. It's simple, user-friendly, and of course, mobile-friendly too. With a wide range of adoptable horses from all over the country, MyRightHorse.org can help you find the horse of your dreams. Visit MyRightHorse.org to find your next horse through adoption. Well, welcome again, Dr. Juliette Getty. I'm so honored and pleased to have you back. We asked you maybe to think of, for our listeners, a nutrition tip from the best, which is you. And we have a lot of listeners Thank who've you. been telling us they're reading your your letter and your blog these days. How's everything going for you? 
Oh, going very well. Thank you, Debbie. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. We, we love you and we love your expertise. What do you have for us today? Well, I have a topic that a lot of people are very interested in, and it's getting more and more popular, and that is the subject of feeding your horse whole foods. Instead of taking out of a bag something that's been dried and preserved and manipulated, considering offering a horse something that might be like what you would eat, maybe with the exception of hay, of course. Okay. But whole foods, whole foods are basically simple living ingredients. They have been unprocessed and are rich in their natural ingredients, so natural nutrients, I should say. Uh, for example, the most popular and the most prevalent horse whole food would be pasture. So allowing your horse to graze on fresh grasses is the best way to feed your horse something that is very nutritious for them. A lot of horses, of course, don't have ac access to a great amount of pasture, so they have to eat hay. And hay is also a whole food. However, it's not very nutritious because it's lost a lot of its nutrients once it's been cut and dried and stored. However, in addition to these forages, we can add all kinds of fruits and vegetables and protein sources. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about those today and see if maybe I can offer your listeners something that they hadn't quite thought about. For example, some of the ways that I like to boost the nutritional value of the horse's diet is by adding a variety of protein sources. There's protein in hay and, and pasture, of course, and if you have it analyzed, it, it simply says crude protein, but that tells you nothing about the quality. And if, for example, the hay is from one particular type of grass, let's say it's Timothy or orchard grass or Bermuda, then even if it's a good amount of protein, say 10%, that protein is a very poor quality. And what I mean by that is, is that the amino acids, the building blocks of protein that are provided to the horse are just not in the proper uh, proportion to one another for the horse to make all of the body proteins that he needs. By adding another source of protein, say from, say, alfalfa, then you're, you're boosting the amino acid variety available to your horse so that he can build muscle and digestive enzymes and skin and hooves and vital organs and so forth. So if we added, say, two or three other sources of protein, then we create an amino acid pool that gives the horse optimal choice so that all of the tissues in the body can benefit and therefore remain healthy and repair themselves and build new tissue when they need to. So what are these sources? Well, some of my favorites are things like uh, seeds. So for example, flax seeds, chia seeds, mm -hmm. hemp seeds. These are all wonderful sources of protein and also other nutrients. Seeds in general are really powerhouses of nutrients. Mm -hmm. And so by adding, a, adding these things to your horse's diet, you create an amino acid variety that makes it so your horse doesn't have to choose. Now, he doesn't consciously choose, but the body is very intelligent. And given just a small amount of amino acids to choose from, his first priority is going to be to stay alive. And so the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys are going to get access to those proteins or those amino acids first. And then if there's some left over, then the hooves will get some and the skin will get some um, and the eyes will get some and the joints will get some. But those organs will suffer if there's not enough variety. So these are some ways to add them. And I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't also say that the benefit of adding these particular seeds is to add essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. You've all heard of omega-3s and 6s. Right. And mm -hmm. these 
foods are chock full of omega-3s and 6s. There were two fatty acids, actually, that the body cannot make and therefore must be in the diet. And this is a mistake that many horse owners make when they feed just hay. They assume that the hay contains these essential fatty acids, and they do not. Mm. They do not. And if the horse's body can't produce them, they must be in the diet. Adding whole foods like hemp seeds, flax seeds, chia, these things will add essential fatty acids, which will help the body in a vast variety of ways. Mm-hmm. And then there's other things. There's fun stuff. You know, there's fruit. So horses can eat just about any fruit. Uh, stay away from tomatoes. Those are actually, they are a fruit. We consider them like more like a vegetable, but they are, belong to the nightshade family. Oh, uh, yeah. Tomatoes, peppers, uh, eggplant, uh, potatoes, white potatoes. Uh, these are all toxic to horses. Okay. Stay away okay. from garlic and onions. Those are toxic to horses. But they love grapes and berries and apples and carrots and uh, kale. They love all of these things. So adding these things to the diet, not in huge quantities, but sort of like just garnishing their meal with a little bit of extra fun is nice because it adds variety. Horses <laughs> in a domesticated situation eat basically the same thing day in, day in and day out. <laughs> so these are some, some ideas regarding adding whole foods to the diet. And I'd like to just conclude. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask one quick question. I know that I hear some people with their horses, they, that horses actually seek out the kinds of foods. If they're in a free, free pasture situation where they've maybe got a more wild territory to choose from, that they Mm -hmm. will actually seek out things that their body needs. how how did they do that? Or is that something that is based in science? Well, they, they do that to an extent. They don't wake up in the morning and say, gee, I need more zinc today. Right. So let me find <laughs> things that are high in zinc. But they do instinctively understand that they need the variety in their diet. And if, if they had that opportunity, then they would naturally seek that out. Horses in a, in a wild situation eat more than just grasses. They eat... Yeah flowers, they eat berries, they eat seeds, they eat leaves and bark. So they they get their variety that way. It would be so nice if we could duplicate that, but the vast right. majority of horses don't have that opportunity. Okay. And then my other question is about the seeds. Uh, I know one issue that comes up is stability because of the oils in them. I guess it's the omegas. Yes. Well, sure. Of course. Like, for example, if you were to grind your own flax seeds every day, you would read, you would need to grind them every day because as soon as you, like say in a coffee grinder, as soon as you, you pulverize them, then the fatty acids that exist in the pulp of the seed becomes exposed to oxygen and mm-hmm. oxygen starts the formation of, of rancidity. And that leads to free radicals, which are damaging. You don't want your horse to eat free radicals. Yeah. So, um, so you'd have to refrigerate them and you'd have to do it daily, or you could buy uh, a stabilized commercial product that's, okay. that's just flax for sure. Great. Okay. Well, that's pretty terrific stuff there. You've threw in a lot of stuff, toxic stuff that we're not supposed to do and fun stuff like kale and grapes that we can do, but with uh, with sort of a treat topping in mind, I suppose. Um, Anything else? Well, I'd just like to conclude by saying that the, you may have noticed that I didn't mention soy and as a, as a source of protein and soy has some problems with it. We won't go into that today. Maybe the subject of another time, but most commercially fortified feeds are chock full of soy and that is highly inflammatory. And so stay away from those types of things. Okay. Thank you for that admonition, too. Thank you, Dr. Juliet Getty. Appreciate it. How You're do people most reach welcome. you? It's my pleasure. Yeah. I'm Tell sorry. people how they get a hold of you. Oh, yes, of course. My website is gettyequinenutrition.com. Thank you very much. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. 
My horse is bored in the stable. How can I solve this? Are there tricks or toys for horses that have to stay in the stable many hours a day? Monty's answer. There are many tricks and toys available to you these days. As I visit the racetracks of the world, I come in contact with horses that are often stabled up to 23 hours per day. Obviously, stable vices are exhibited by these horses more than those in virtually any other discipline. Hay nets are often used to encourage the horse to graze throughout the day and evening. These hay nets will be hung just outside the door opening, and the horses are allowed to reach out of their stalls with their heads. Since the door opening at typical tracks is closed only by stall webbing about two feet wide and waist high, the horse can reach under them with his forelegs. This requires that the hay net be kept high so as to prevent horses from tangling their feet in them. I advocate for horses eating low as their anatomy is constructed to that mind. Hay nets, however, preclude that, possibly leaving me less than enthusiastic about their use. I would only recommend them if they are very effective to alleviate boredom. Many other objects are used in efforts to entertain the horse during the long hours in the stable. Tether balls are often seen at the racetracks. Sometimes the horse will have three or four of them hanging in different locations so that he can swing them with his nose in a game-like fashion. Large beach balls rolling loose in the stall do the trick for some horses. And then there are those horses that prefer animal friends. Goats and sheep are the animals most often used as horse playmates. I even saw a horse that had a pet parrot living in a cage just outside his door. The horse was terribly unhappy when the parrot was not there and clearly found him to be a valuable antidote to the boredom of this stable-bound horse. Music and even certain grooms who are around a lot for a horse can make a huge difference in the tranquility of these animals. It is clear that a horse that is comfortable in his surrounding eats and performs better than a horse that lives in an anxious state. Observe your horses closely and try to see to their needs. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. October 6th, he's back in the UK in Collingham. And then October 19th, as we were speaking about Wallace, he'll be in the fall tour Hartbury College. And then October 25, 27, and 31, he skips over to Germany. He'll be in some mostly cities I can't say, but it's uh, Thierno, Oldstadt, and Schuschelfeld. He's been there before, so people will know what I'm talking about. And then November 2nd, and 10th, he will also be in, I see one on here, the November 2nd and 10th, he'll be at the 15th time, he'll be in Fulda and Nubalik. And then he skips to Budapest, and he will be in Hungary on December 1 and 2, doing a master demonstration with Pignon and, uh, and a few other masters from Europe, too, okay. so... Yeah, and then advance warning, we've talked about it, February 15 through 17, 2019. He will be, it's the President's Day weekend, so you know, it'll be um, that weekend. It's an equine facility management clinic. So for those that want to be certified as a professional facility management person, either to get a job or to improve your job or to drop your insurance, that will be at Flag is at Farms in California. Now, where can people find more information about signing up for that? Yeah, on the calendar. Uh, we actually have a link in there to go ahead and sign up for those things. It'll be, we, we have two ladies that I've talked about before, but 
not only the CEO of CHAW, Certified Horsemanship Association, Christy Landwehr, but we also have Jill Montgomery. These are the two teachers of this course or the certifiers of this course. And uh, they're not actually teaching. They're actually judging you. So, uh, But it's an excellent group. And there's a lot of synergy when they're doing these things, too. I, I heard that everybody learns something from everybody that's in these courses. And um, so those two are helping us process everybody that will be taking the course as well or taking in the uh, clinic. All right. So it is at Flag is Up Farms. It is. And the mm-hmm. certification is done by the Certified Horsemanship Association. And right. if you do you have a link to the Certified Horsemanship Association curriculum there on the website? On the calendar we on do. Calendar. Yeah. Because then mm-hmm. people can go, oh, well, this, these are the things that I need to know when I go to it. Right. right. Exactly. Oh, and there'll be a whole package that comes to them too, um, a big manual and everything too. So cool. this is really, yeah, this is, this is really cool stuff. Yeah. It's yes, good stuff. So you can get that all at MontyRoberts.com. Or if you have questions that require answering by a real human being, you can give Flag is Up Farms a call and their phone number is 805-688-6288. Or you can find Monty Roberts on Facebook. And his handle on Facebook is Monty Roberts or on Twitter or Instagram, which is Monty hey. underscore Roberts. Yes, he's on Instagram. Woohoo! What a modern guy. <laughs> These are beautiful photos. I love the Instagram. I'm getting into the Instagram, guys. You, yeah, you're loving snapping the pics, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and people send me cool photos, too, from tours and everything, too. Very so nice. go on that Instagram account. It's really go cute. And if you want yeah. information and links to the guests from today's show... Go to horsemanshipradio.com. This is episode 120. And for listening to lots of other great horse podcasts, you can download the free Horse Radio Network app for your iPhone or your Android. Just go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, and download it today. It's quick, it's free, and it's easy. And for the less tech-savvy folks in your life, show them how to do it, too. Be a friend. Yeah, do that. Help them out. Yeah, and many thanks to our sponsors, too, who help us out. That's Omega Fields, Cavallo, Horse and Rider. We've got Monty Roberts University. And we're we're helping campaign for a PSA for Right Horse Initiative. They've got that new website called the MyRightHorse.org. I, I have to admit, I've been surfing around on Have that. you been surfing? Isn't it cool? Oh, yeah. It's really a cool idea, yeah. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.